Welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, conversations designed to help you as you live, learn, and lead through pain. And now the host of the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, Davey Blackburn. Hello and welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. My name is Davey. I'm your host. Joining me in the studio, my co-host, Emily Schiltz. Hey. Emily, how are you? I'm good. Good. I'm excited about the interview that we have today for everybody. Yeah. It's with a good friend of mine named Nick Sherilambas. Nick Shapalahanda. <laughs> no. Did I say that right? No, not at all. No. Not at all. Okay. Try Nick, again. Nick Sherilambas. Mm. But here's the thing. It's His voice is like gold to listen to because okay. he has a British accent. Oh, nice. And so it's like Nick Sharolombus. Nick Sharolombus. Sharolombus, right? Mm-hmm. I so, feel like I'm in Harry Potter. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> so because he has a British accent and everybody's going to get to just hear this like soothing, rich British voice, yes. um, I wanted to talk a little bit about foreign languages and accents because- okay. If I could have any accent, mm-hmm. it would probably be a British accent really? or possibly Scottish. I, I have learned that the Blackburn name is kind of a Scottish, has Scottish heritage. Okay. So I kind of feel at home when I hear Scottish music. You know, it's like something like draws me like back to my roots. Kind of, but like more like the Scottish like. Um, <laughs> Wait, can you define, can you define Scottish? Because I feel confused. What like, do you mean? But yeah, there's bagpipes. In yeah, that. okay, bagpipes. Yeah, 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 for sure. But like more like the, like the, um, I don't remember. I don't know the. I'm trying to think of the word. I can't really get it. But like, like Braveheart, like the music of Braveheart. You know, okay. Like listen to a Braveheart soundtrack. I just it it calls me. Yes, it does. If you could speak in any other language or with any other accent, what would it be? I feel like those are two different questions, because I would want to speak fluent Spanish. Okay. If it was any other language. But right. any other accent, I think I would want to have an Irish accent. An Irish accent? Yes. Okay. Let me give you a little Let's, backstory. Me, yeah. <laughs> well, and then I need to hear a little demonstration okay. as well. Because so, I'm sure you've practiced it. I have. Actually, yes. I was an Irish maid one time in a play. Um, I was nice. in Little Women okay. in high school. All right. And I don't even remember. I think Hannah yeah. is, is the maid's name okay. or something. Right. And ever since then, I've just really... I've just really loved the Irish accent. Basically, everything that you say is like a question. <laughs> okay. All right. Let me hear. I need see if you can get in there and get, see if you can get in character for a second. Yeah. Do we need to like pl- play some like I need Irish you music to ask for me you? A question that I can answer. Okay. <laughs> um, Emily, what are you planning to eat for dinner tonight? Okay. Here we go. <clears throat> okay. Well, tonight we have small group, and I haven't really planned to make any dinner. Um, that wasn't very good. That I, was all right. I, I went you into got a there. British I heard a little, accent there. You, it was close. But it's like the question. It was like, close. Uh, tonight we have small group. Tonight we have small group. Right. Yeah. And Wasn't planning on making anything. <laughs> that was pretty good. But now I feel like I'm in Lord of the Rings. I was um, going to say that. <laughs> but Like, just all of a sudden, like, the hobbits are just going to start walking through here. <laughs> Okay, can you practice your Scottish accent? I don't know if there's much of a difference, right? I don't know. Don't, I don't know if there's know. much you of a difference. You one. <laughs> there's not much of a difference, right? Oh, there's a, a that was that good. was a little bit of a right, <laughs> almost a Shrek really good. type feel. Yeah, to it. The donkey, you mean? The donkey. No, it is Shrek. Oh, donkey. Yep. 
That'll that'll do donkey. So can you do this <laughs> okay, next yes. interview in your Scottish thing. accent while Nick? I don't Char-Lombos. know if that's going to be accomplished. <laughs> <laughs> you can do it. I believe in you. So I'll pay bad. you a dollar. Oh my gosh! So the the gal that intros the Nothing Is Wasted podcast is our friend mm-hmm. Stacy Tarrant, and she's from Australia. And yes. we have tried so hard to get me to have a good Australian accent, and it just doesn't work. It's not very good. I can't do it. I just can't. It's like I'm like, like put another shrimp on the bobby. You know, it's like I don't <laughs> quite get there somehow. Right. I'm, yeah. I'm missing it. but Better I, than mine. Scottish, I'm not good though, at accents. I feel like Scottish is just a little bit easier. Yeah. You know, something like that. Like I think. No? If you had that accent, what type of clothes do you think you would wear? <laughs> I don't know, but I have to contort my face in a really weird <laughs> way in order to get the accent. So I feel like everybody would think I'm mad at him. <laughs> right? I'm just picturing, I'm really you, not wearing, that mad at you, I'm right picturing now. you wearing not a skirt mad. right now with some bagpipes. True story. In my neighborhood growing up in Birmingham, Alabama, at the we lived at the top of the neighborhood. It was like this hill. Do you know what those are? You've lived in Indiana your whole life. You know what a hill is? Yes. Okay, it's when like there's incline I've or slope. I've seen a few. Okay, yeah. So we, the bus would drop us off at the bottom of the hill and I had to walk all the way up to the top of the hill where my house was in the neighborhood but the bottom of the hill the very first house my friend Michael Maynard lived there and he played the bagpipes so all the way at the top of the hill I would hear him playing the bagpipes like every day he'd go out after school and he'd strap on his he had to wear a kilt I don't know if he had to get in character or something but it'd be like (laughs) you know every day so, wow. love you, Michael Maynard, if you're out there. That's a unique skill. Yeah, it really is. I don't know anybody who plays the bagpipes. I know. But Nick Sherlombus Does. He might. I don't know. <laughs> I don't think he does. His story is so cool. I, unbelievable story. I'm not going to tell it because I'm going to ask him, let him dive into it. You're definitely going to be riveted by this story. Yeah. We're talking about... Um, a story of battling and beating cancer, a story of trying to disprove Christianity like right. Lee Strobel, C.S. Lewis type, and while he's trying to, I mean, just... It's a faith-building story. Really cool story. Yeah. So hang on to your hats for this one. Hang on to your hats. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure what I'm supposed Before to say. Before we jump into the interview, we'd love for you to rate and review our podcast. <laughs> if you really like our accents, please rate and review the podcast. <laughs> no, it really does help. It, it is... Um, it's, it's helpful to get this to the, the top of the charts and help it to get exposure to yeah. other people. So please uh, please do so. We love to hear your reviews as well. We love to read those and just see how this is helping you. And um, it's just it's just really cool to to hear how the effects of these stories right. on everybody and giving you hope yeah, and healing sure. as you're walking through whatever you're walking through. Yeah, that encourages us to um, keep going and uh, continue to put these podcasts out so you guys can have hope in your headphones. Um we love it. We love it when you share mm-hmm. your stories with us. If there's something that we can do for you, um, if there's any questions that we can answer for you, if there's specific ways that we can be praying for you, um, we say this every once in a while, but we'd love to hear from you. Um, so you can reach out to us at hello at resonateindeed.com, uh, and we'd love to just come alongside you. And whether that's help you get connected mm-hmm. to a church or um, help walk you through whatever it is that you might be experiencing right now where you need a little more hope, yeah. um, we'd, love, we'd love to contact you. 
Yeah. And another way that you can be a part of this and help out is by giving as well. This podcast costs money. Uh, We ship equipment to people so that it's a high quality. Uh, We make sure that we um, have high quality uh, production engineering as well. And so we just want to make sure that you're listening to something that's high quality, that's Mm -hmm. easy to listen to as you're walking through some of this stuff. And so because of that, we would love to have your support. If you feel led, you can go to davyblackburn.com slash give and everything you give goes toward the production of this podcast. It helps us keep this this thing going and keep hope in your headphones. Yeah, for sure. Well, without any further ado. Further ado. <laughs> let's listen to your interview with Nick. Nick, thanks for joining me on the podcast. Great to have you. Yeah, thank you. This is a great honor. Man, we uh, we we kind of go back uh, quite a ways, even though we didn't get to work together, uh, oftentimes, at least in direct contact. Um, I remember, and I was I was talking about this, I couldn't remember, and you, maybe you can help me remember. When was it that you and I sat in a car? We were driving back from something. Was it the Nashville <gasps> oh, half, or what was that? Yes, we, we ran the half marathon. That's right. It was in Nashville. I think it was 2011. Okay, okay. And uh, I think my time was one hour and fifty-two. <laughs> uh, one hour and fifty-two. You got that one. <laughs> uh, I don't know. What, I don't know what yours was, but you know. I, I don't yeah. know if I beat that. I might have been right around there because I think one of my best times is is right there at one fifty-two, and I'm not sure if I did that in Nashville or not. So <laughs> that was an interesting half because you remember, if you remember that, like the big tornado or something came through, and they yes. cut everybody off, like, and so the folks that. Interesting story. I'm sorry, but this is a crazy deviation. There's a, there was a volunteer, a volunteer of ours in our ministry at that time, and the few student ministry there at New Spring, and they, she had been training over and over and over for, for this full marathon. Um, in fact, ran her like big 20 mile run that you, tra- you know, the longest run that you run in the training process of your 26.2 mile. And she ran that on a treadmill. She was so you know, intensely focused on running this marathon. And she ends up getting cut off at that cutoff mark at the Nashville. For her, it was supposed to be the full and rerouted to go the half because she didn't make it in time to get it. Can you imagine that? All of that training and then you're getting rerouted. I mean, literally, that's the worst. <laughs> that's got to be the worst. Oh my All gosh. the pain and no, none of the glory. Oh my <laughs> gosh. I know, I know. But man, you have just an incredible story. And there's several layers and facets to your story that I want to really lean into today, and I think that are going to really help our listener. But first of all, before we jump in, why don't you just give us a little context? Who is Nick Sherlambus? Where are you? What's your family like? What are you doing in life today? Wow. Well, what I'm doing in life today is I I work as um, part of the communications team at New Spring Church. And, you know, among the things that I do is storytelling, helping people tell their stories Mm. um, about how Jesus has changed their life. And um, I guess uh, the accent is a giveaway, (laughs) (laughs) but uh, I grew up in the UK, grew up in London. And if anyone knows the uh, Piccadilly line, the underground train in London, uh, I grew up in a town called Southgate, which is pretty far out there, but still London. Um, and, uh, I guess I moved over here in, uh, 1995 to, to do a master's degree in communication and ended up sticking around. And it's a, a great country. I'm a real proud American. I'm 
I have a citizenship now, and and that was a, a huge, you know, threshold to cross over. Yeah. Uh, so, so I think about myself as an American, but with uh, some exoticness, you know, kind of mixed <laughs> in. <laughs> well, let me tell you, we are all very envious of your accent, <laughs> and I know you probably get that a lot, being well, right now in Anderson, South Carolina. <laughs> yeah, and I don't get it as much as I used to. I think I think maybe my accent isn't quite as distinctively British as it used to be. Okay. Okay. <laughs> but, but I, I, I love the South, uh, and the accent is part of that for me too, which is kind of funny. That's great. That's great. So you're at New Spring Church in Anderson, South Carolina, and um, you stepped, you came into the States to do a master's degree in communications, and, and you got into journalism. Is that right, initially? That's, that's and, right. And had an interesting interaction with New Spring Church that kind of leads you to... Uh, in this really crazy providential way, how you met the Lord. Why don't you, why don't you tell us about that a little bit? Yeah. So I had, um, I think, uh, the Independent Mail, which is where I um, was working at, at uh, the local paper in Anderson, South Carolina, uh, was my second job out of college, and I was only supposed to be there for a year or two, and and you know I was going to go on to bigger and better things, and and literally I was coming to the end of my second year. I had been looking for jobs. I'd actually even gotten a job offer from a paper in Florida that, you know, I was super excited about. But for whatever reason, I literally cannot understand. Um, I didn't end up taking it. And then a few a few weeks later, my editor basically said that he'd had this great idea about doing a series of stories about churches like New Spring. Hmm. Uh, so New Spring at the time had gone from a Bible study into, I think it was at the time, about two and a half thousand people. And uh, for a town as small as Anderson, South Carolina, that yeah. was remarkable. Yeah. Um, and when he said, yeah, I, I, I'd like for us to do this and, and I'm, I'm seeing potential for uh, winning some journalism awards, I, I'm not going to lie. I just thought he was insane. <laughs> and I actually remember telling him, like, I don't want to do this. Like, yeah. I'm not a Christian. I don't really believe that it's anything more than, you know, a fable, you know, basically superstition. Like, why on earth would someone like me, <laughs> a journalist, you know, uh, crusading for truth and objectivity, yeah. want, to, want to do a story about churches? Mm. Um, and I was, I'm not going to lie, pretty close to kind of saying, well, look, I'm going to leave anyway. I'm going to leave this paper anyway. Why, why don't I just quit? <laughs> <laughs> you know, he had basically told me I had to spend six weeks um, on dedicated interviewing and, and research on, on um, this movement. I mean, at the time it was what, uh, I guess 19, uh, no, no, it would have been about 2003. Mm -hmm. And it was, you know, uh, the, the alternative church, the modern church, the right. mega church movement was just getting started. And uh, yeah, so it, it was worthy, I guess, of interest, but I didn't think it was interesting to me. <laughs> <laughs> Did you, in your upbringing in the UK, were you exposed to church at all? Did you have a negative experience of church or what fostered this like cynicism in you, in your, in your upbringing before you came to the States? Yeah, I think the intriguing thing is that I actually went to an Anglican primary school. 
Okay. Or elementary school, I guess, uh, is what they call it in the States. And, um, you know, it wasn't because my parents were Christians. They were actually, well, they were, they are Christians in the Greek, ethnically Greek cultural sense. Gotcha. But, but they weren't, you know, we didn't, we, my parents didn't really follow Jesus in the way that I am now following right, Jesus. Right. They were very passively acknowledging an identity that was Christian, but it was more like being morally good. It was actually very much like living in the South mm. where, where everyone's a Christian. Well, in Greece, where my family originated in Cyprus, everyone's a Christian. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, it's just kind of part of being alive right you know and so um so i don't know why they put me in this anglican school other than they wanted a good life for me Hmm. and it was a good school and uh they thought that i would be able to go on and do great things as a result of being educated there and so this anglican school was i guess an exposure to the faith in in a sense I, i remember reading some bible stories I do remember, um, you know, converse, uh, we, we, we would do religious assemblies. Yeah. So, like, I think it was every Wednesday there would be a worship service, mm. and I, I remember that. I remember learning the Lord's Prayer. Mm. Um, but it, it really wasn't much beyond my elementary school years. It, it never really penetrated my, my view of life. Right you know, in a, in a self-conscious way, it wasn't, it wasn't a lifestyle or, a or, a you know, uh, it, it just didn't penetrate my right. life much at all, really. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So, so then, um, you're, you're commissioned to do this story on this church. You're thinking most of it's, you know, hogwash. It's, that's a British term, isn't it? Hogwash. <laughs> <laughs> you're you're thinking it's you know this whole thing is at best superstition. It's it's right. moralistic, you know, uh, ideals, but but not really anything. So as you start investigating, uh, did I mean uh, you took the assignment right for for that or what? How did that pan out then? Yeah, I took the assignment, and I I, I guess I I thought about it as a challenge. So okay. you know, I started my. Uh, interviewing the way that I would interview for any subject, really. I kind of created this outer circle of, or this kind of uh, universe of churches that I thought were interesting to talk to. Yeah. And uh, basically did some uh, reading around Christianity and, and, you know, what is orthodox belief and things like that. So I kind of did approach it in a systematic and in a serious way. It Mm -hmm. wasn't you know, I mean, I was well trained as a journalist. I had a master's degree, so it was. You know, I, I really put all my effort into it, and um, you know, that's I think what was key to all of this is that I I really wanted to honour the the readers of this series mm. of articles. You know, by being by giving the story a uh, you know, the, the focus that it needed, yeah, you know, the, the, right. the, the, the seriousness that it needed. And so, you know, even though I didn't really understand Christianity at all, I felt like I needed to try and understand it to the best of my ability that I could gotcha. in five or six, in five or six weeks. Yeah. 
and you know so yeah so as i was interviewing people i think i remember most vividly just you know interviewing ordinary people some of them lawyers some of them doctors some of them plumbers right i mean just mm-hmm. ordinary people and uh i just remember hearing them talk about jesus like he was alive and he mm. was walking around and telling them things and doing things and and i just I, I do remember just being a little taken aback right because it it was clearly not a set of ideas yeah it was it was clearly not a uh means of like social bonding <laughs> mm. you know what i mean and and it definitely wasn't a you know, collective delusion. Yeah. You know, it, it could not have been, you know, it was just so plainly obvious that every one of these people had had some level of deep connection mm. with Jesus and had come to their own conclusions about the fact that he was truly alive and that he was truly at work. And, uh, and I mean, even as I recall it now, it's, 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 you know, the hair is standing up in my mm-hmm. arms because I remember being utterly shocked by that. Yeah. Like, of all the things that I was prepared to hear, that wasn't one of them. Wow. So what happened? Because this began to start matriculating down into your own, uh, started started debunking some of your own ideas of what Christianity was and started matriculating down into your own heart until you came to a place where you decided to make a decision to follow Jesus as well. Tell me how that took place. Yeah, so I had developed, I guess, um, relationships with a couple of the members of the staff at the time. Mm. Uh, Lee McDermott, who's still our Greenville campus pastor at New Spring. Right, the staff at New Spring, yeah, okay. Yeah, and um, and another guy who, you know, Joshua Blankenship, who wow. was, you know, just a – a genius right? He is. <laughs> and a creative genius. And, um, you know, so I had developed some, some really great relationships with both of them and was felt free enough, I guess you could say to try and, you know, ask them questions about, you know, things that, that, that I was kind of wrestling with as I was doing the stories. Yeah. And after that process had, I guess, played out, you know, after the, the the set of stories that I was working on were completed, I remember promising um, to um, Perry Noble at the time, the, the senior pastor of New Spring at the time, that I would come check out a, a service. And I remember being in that service and, and just realizing that someone, the, the, the phrase, following Jesus had been mentioned so many times, Mm -hmm. but I never really understood what that meant. What does it mean to actually follow Jesus? It just seemed, again, one of those strange phrases, like it, like at one and the same time, it seems so self-evident. Yeah. Right. But, but what does it really mean? And so I I called up um, or got in touch with um, Joshua Blankenship and said, Hey, bud, I'd really like to find out what this, this, phrase means because it's confusing hmm. to me we, he took me to lunch uh, at a local downtown restaurant and uh we basically talked about art and poetry and all sorts of things for like <laughs> for like about 45 50 minutes 
and right toward the end of the conversation, he basically challenged me and said, um, well, you know, what's stopping you from just giving your life to Jesus? Hmm. And I remember thinking, well, I mean, I believe that suddenly it occurred to me in that conversation that I really did believe hmm. that he was, he died and was raised from the grave and that I did believe that somehow he had the, the meaning of life. Hmm. Um, you know, he was able to lead me into a new way of life that, that, that I knew was more fully alive. Yeah. If you, I mean, than the life that I was living at the time. And so I kind of spoke back to Joshua about that. And, you know, I'm so thankful to this day that he was bold enough wow. to grab my arms across the table. And I was a journalist and everybody knew me in this in, <laughs> in Anderson, South Carolina. And I was in this downtown restaurant where there was a lot of, you know, very well-known people. So it was potentially very, you know, embarrassing or, yeah. or you know, difficult, you know, un, you know, uncomfortable to like to take another guy's arms and pray <laughs> in the middle of this restaurant. But I am so thankful that he had the, the courage and the boldness to do that. Wow. Uh, the conversation before the, you know, I finally agreed to pray was funny though, because uh, he would say, you know, once you pray, you're declaring that you believe these things and that, that Jesus will change your life from that moment on, you'll be different. Hmm. And I kept saying, well, how different like how will i know and he just kept saying well once you once you pray you'll know and i mean i mean i just got hung up on it like it was like well i i don't know if i can just <laughs> take this blind faith you know step here um but in the end um i think it was because he reached over and grabbed my arm so mm. i couldn't I couldn't, you couldn't leave. I'm not pray. That's right. <laughs> he held you down there. <laughs> that's, that's finally, you know, when it when it happened. And you know, he he was right. Mm. I mean, I instantly felt changed. I can't put my finger on exactly how, yeah. but I felt this warm glow wow. within and without me, like yeah. outside of me. Yeah. And um, that was the beginning of uh, a brand new life. It's a, it's amazing to me how how many how many times I hear people say that where they go, hey, once I prayed to receive Christ as my Lord and Savior, I, I felt, I, I sensed, it was like more than a feeling. It's like I yes. sensed this thing that I was different. There was something new about me. But it seems like nobody can quite put their finger on how to mm -hmm. articulate that or how to explain that. It's one of those things that right. has to be experienced and cannot be explained. And yeah. I, I think John Wesley said a strange warming. That's all he said. Yes. Like, I have felt yeah. a strange warming. That's it, you know? But I love that even in the mystery of it, Joshua, and of course this is Joshua, you know, he's an artist, so he's okay with mystery. <laughs> even in the mystery of it, he's like, I can't, I can't explain it how you, but you'll just know, you'll know, you yeah. know? Yeah. And that's yeah. such big faith, even as someone sitting across the table from you, not trying to give you all the answers. You know, I think sometimes we get hung up with trying to help our friends really be able to, you know, give all the calculated answers and the reasonable explanations and the logical, you know, and, and it's, and it's like, man, it's, it's just, we were not going to be able to quite give that to you because there's something so illogical and yet that makes so much sense about this person, Jesus. Yes. And, and I think that that should make us more uh, free to share our faith without yeah. 
without and i shouldn't say that that we don't need to to have a reason for our hope we don't need to have a clear articulation expression of our faith we do but i think we need to trust the holy spirit that if we really believe what we say we believe mm. then he's in that conversation yeah, he has gone before us and so i think that's what joshua did it's like he just said you know what you know the holy spirit is moving in this guy's life wow he was a he was a heathen he was opposed vehemently opposed to to the idea that that this could be a true uh, you know, real, um, supernatural uh, thing. Yeah. This mm-hmm. this idea of faith and in Christ, and and he was a he was confident enough to allow me to to just figure it out for myself. That's great. That's awesome. So then, the aftermath of that, you know, fast forward. I don't know how long, but all all I remember is I was on staff at New Spring at the time, and I. I hear that we have this new staff member who's coming on to basically be a journalist for, you know, everybody in our church. It was, you know, several thousand at the time uh, and curating stories of life change that are happening. And they tell me your story. And I'm like, that's incredible. You know, the, this guy who essentially to me, it felt like kind of like a Lee Strobel type story, you know, mm-hmm. maybe you weren't so. actually trying to disprove Christianity necessarily, but it's this story of you seeking after truth as a journalist. And what's so great about it is that scripture tells us, seek and you will find, mm-hmm. you know, knock and the door will be open to you. And you were seeking it from this objective standpoint and God reveals to you truth and the truth set you free. Um, but as you started coming on staff and you started experiencing other people's life change, and I'm sure that was an exhilarating thing, there was at some point, and you'll have to explain to me the timeline of this stuff, at some point you received this diagnosis um, that had to have been pretty crushing to you. Talk to me about that a little bit, maybe the events leading up to that. Yeah, so it was in 2015, um, I had literally just recovered from a very serious wreck that I'd had on my bike. Mm. Um, I, I, I'm a road biker, you know, the spandex uh, guys. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, you know, I had basically run my bike headlong into a trailer and almost I broke my neck in two places and my back in one other place. And wow. in, you know, I was very lucky to be alive, should have probably been paralyzed if not if not died. And, um, I just was coming back into, you know, kind of fitness Mm -hmm. and was, um, you know, running a little bit and strength training a little bit. And I just remembered feeling these strange pains, strains, muscle things, and, uh, didn't really know what, what was happening. Remember going to the doctors a few times and they would just keep saying, you know, it's probably just your overtraining. It's mm. probably just, you know, you just need to take some time to kind of just don't do anything for a while. And and this dragged on for, for several, several months, you know, got some pain meds and got some steroids a couple of times, but just nothing would change, just this constantly chronic pain. Mm. And I remember feeling uh, at the time, I remember saying to one of my coworkers, it's like my body is at war with itself. Mm. And... um I guess at the time I thought, well, maybe this has something to do with the injuries that I had picked up. 
because they were in my neck, they were in my back. So mm. I just thought oh, maybe it's still connected to that. Uh, but I knew that something was desperately wrong when in the middle of July of that year, I basically started realizing that I couldn't even bend down to say wash my face in the mornings or mm. brush my teeth or I couldn't. Um, there was one week, I guess, where I realized I couldn't get up out of the bed. Wow. Like I was, I'd laid down for the night, but I couldn't get back up in the morning. Mm. Like, like literally I had to kind of roll myself off the bed kind of with the help of my wife. And I just knew that, that at that point something else was happening. Mm. And, you know, there was definitely this sense of like, you know, confusion and, and fear. Um, I will say cancer never came to my mind. Mm. Like it literally never crossed my mind that I could be dealing with cancer. Um, I went in the end to a rheumatologist. All the scans and and the C, you know the CTs and the MRIs and the things that that other doctors had done that year to see if they could figure it out had come up clean. Um, but you know, I, I guess you could say I went for a second opinion. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess it would have been a fourth or fifth opinion. <laughs> um, <laughs> You know, when I couldn't get up out of the bed anymore, I, I kind of, you know, did that. And um, we did some genetic testing and, you know, everything kept coming back like it was fine. Mm. And then within a couple of weeks, um, I ended up having to use a walker, like, a, wow. you know, a person, you know, like an old an old person, yeah. you know, who, who needs, you know, help with, you know, a frame, basically. And uh, it was, it, it, it wasn't, it, it, it was one of the strangest experiences of my life to kind of feel like I was 80 or 90 years old. Mm. Like my, 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 my ability to walk was really just a shuffle at that point. I was yeah. just shuffling around. Um, I was sleeping in a recliner because I couldn't. If I, I knew if I lay down, I couldn't get up. Um, so, you know, me and my wife had not, you know, by the time the diagnosis was officially given to me, me and my wife hadn't e- even been able to sleep in the same bed for three or four months at that point. Wow. And, um, you know, uh, I, I know I'm sounding a little scattered here, but when they finally figured it out, um, really it was because the disease had been so far, far advanced, so far progressed that basically the, the, the spine had basically started cracking to such an extent oh, man. Because, because of the tumors all the way up and down that it basically started showing up on the x-ray. Wow. So it, it was when those cracks appeared that they figured it out. It took, uh, you know, it took, I guess, eight months, nine months for it to get that bad that, that, that they could see it. Wow. Um, and I remember getting that phone call from the doctor, you know, uh, I mean, I've heard sermons where people talk about that call that you get. Yeah. Um, you know, I'd done stories about people who'd received calls like that. And, you know, so here I am getting the phone call, you know, Nick, my friend, it doesn't look good is what the doctor said. Mm. <laughs> And, you know, I remember having kind of this out-of-body experience where I was like, I remember thinking to myself, isn't this the point where I'm supposed to 
break down in tears. I'm supposed to woe is me, essentially shake my fist at God. Yeah. And say, like, what is this about? Like, didn't wasn't it just a year ago that I was recovering from this near fatal wreck? You rescued me then. Mm. You, you you pulled me out of, you know, um the Maya, you know, right. then. So why would you allow this to happen? Yeah. But it was almost like I was having this internal monologue where it's like, but I don't feel that way. Hmm. Like, why don't I feel that way? What I feel right now is protected. Wow. What I feel right now is that you are calling me into a battle where I am going to be strengthened wow. and you are going to fight for me. Wow. Like you, Jesus. Um, and, and it was the most craziest kind of feeling to, to know that I, I wasn't scared and I wasn't, I wasn't doubting. I did, I didn't have any lack of clarity about what this was about. Right. Man. Um, this was, a, this was about my good. Wow. And, and it wasn't that God had done it. It wasn't that like, you know, he was, Oh, well, I know how I need to grow this man in faith and character. Yeah. I, I'm going to give him this, you know, <laughs> this challenge. It, it didn't feel like that at all. Yeah. It just felt like, you know, Nick, I can trust you with this. Mm. And, and I remember at the time thinking, how did, you know, I'm glad that you feel that way. <laughs> how am I going to, you know, how am I going to get through this? Like, it was mm. kind of like, not a how I don't believe you. Mm-hmm. It was a how reveal it to me. Yeah. We show me. Wow. Yeah. Wow. You, so, um, what year was it that you came to know the Lord? Uh, yeah, 2003, October 2003 was when I met Jesus. So between 2003 and 2015, when you got this diagnosis, you described the diagnosis or the moment that you received this as this this like strange, calm assurance that it made, not that it made sense, but that it made sense even in the mystery of it. Um that you felt, you know, this resolve and this peace that God was not just with you, but he was going to protect you. He was going to rescue you. He was going to fight for you in this. That's a, that's a far cry from this guy 12, 13 years before who was so vehemently opposed to, um, and, and objecting (laughs) the faith. Right. And, and one of the biggest things that, you know, just my interaction with people who are skeptics of the faith, they, um, one of the biggest hangups is this idea of miracles. Mm. And yes. now here you are believing so firmly in this God of miracles or this God of, because did you believe in that moment? Like, no, God's going to, he's going to see me through this and he's going to heal me. Or did that come later on that you started believing that? Or did you just believe that he was going to protect you? But regardless of when that was, what happened in between 2003 and 2015 that changed you from this guy who was opposed to the very, I mean, even existence of God or, or, you know, Christianity, the idea of that, that God is alive and living and can perform miracles to this guy, this guy who's like, I'm so resolved that this is going to be okay. Yeah. I mean, obviously the, the short answer to that is that, 
you know, discipleship happened, right? Mm. Like I began to, you know, dig into the Bible. I began to surround myself with other men and women who were, you know, fighting the fight of faith every single day. And, you know, I, I guess I had, at the time when I had given my life to Jesus, I I kind of wanted to let him change my life, right? right. So I didn't, I didn't struggle with the idea that my mind had to change. I didn't have to struggle with the idea that my life had to look different. Mm. In fact, I think that that's what was so exciting about it to me. <laughs> it was like, it was like I have a second chance to live my best life. And I know that sounds, you know, it can sound a little cheesy to say that. Yeah. But I had at that point felt like my life was a pretty big mess. Mm. I had you know, grown up with all these ideas of what my life was supposed to look like. And I felt like a failure at the time that I gave my life to Jesus. Yeah. I mean, I felt like I just, I had just gotten divorced. Um, I was very lonely. I was in this foreign land, you know, mm. uh, wanting to seek my, you know, destiny, sh- should we say, and none of it had worked out, you know, the way I thought it had. Mm. And, and a lot of it was driven, I think, at the time by a self-confidence that really was arrogance. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it, I, I mean, I don't know if I would have known this immediately, but I think there was a part of growing in faith where I enjoyed, as much as you can enjoy, <laughs> humility, mm. right? It was like, I don't want to be the center of my life anymore. Wow. Like I, I don't know what I'm doing. I, I don't have the answers. I, uh, clearly have not figured out what the truth and the, the secrets of a, of a abundant, satisfying, joyful life (laughs) really are. Yeah. Those things are are the the Lord's. Those things are 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 Jesus's wisdom. So let me press into him. And so I think that there was this, you know, and I had some, you know, uh, experiences, you could say, with Jesus where I'd felt him do supernaturally miraculous things. Yeah. uh, A few few times, at least a handful, you know, where you could call those that kind of the in-breaking yeah, you know, right. like where where heaven heaven seemed to be breaking into my reality in such a dramatic way that I could not rationally explain it. I could only explain it through the power of God, yeah. right? And so I think I was very open to the idea over time that all of the Christian life was a miracle. Mm. Wow! Right? That it wasn't reserved for. For a healing miracle, yeah. it wasn't reserved for, you know, something going your way that you weren't expecting, but that it was literally the more you thought about your day-to-day experience of life, the wow. more miraculous it really was. Like wow. taking a breath for me was miraculous. Like why, why was I allowed to have this chance? To live my life with Jesus. Wow. I mean, I didn't. I didn't ask for it. I didn't walk into a church and say, "I'm searching for the meaning of life." <laughs> you know, like, you know, Jesus found me, and 
And from that very moment, I think it kind of set me on a trajectory to really want to experience the miraculous in the every day. Wow. In the every single day reality of my life. Well, I, ha- I just kind of had a thought hit me right when you started saying that, Nick, that really this battle of cancer and this fight against cancer has been your entire Christian walk. Preparation for it. Well, not just that, but you think about the cancer of sin Ah. that is still inside of your life, the presence of sin that now this this war, and you you called it physically, you felt this fight, your, your body was fighting itself. In the spiritual, Paul talks about the flesh and the spirit at war against mm-hmm. each other. And yeah. that's the Christian walk. That is sanctification played out. Yeah. And so you're, you're, you just described miracles every single day of he- healing miracles that happen in our spirit nature and in the spiritual every single day played out through the normal, through the routine, through the mundane, right. as we're following after Jesus, where the spirit is at war and at odds with the flesh and the flesh is at yeah. war and at odds with the spirit. And we yeah. are battling this thing so that the, the, in such a way that we want the spirit to overtake the flesh. And so you've been battling cancer your whole mm-hmm. Christian walk. Yeah, and, that's and, a good way to think about it. And now you are in a place or you you know, in, in our in our conversation, in our story, where you've gotten this diagnosis of cancer and you're set up for a battle physically. Mm-hmm. Um, what a powerful thing. That's, uh, oh, man, unbelievable. Well, let me talk about that battle for a sec. So it's interesting that you talked about the, we talked about the miraculous part of this. That yeah. I think I remember feeling very much like, uh, the story in the Old Testament story of Elijah and the uh, chariots of fire, that that suddenly this veil was removed and I could see these angel armies. Right. Yeah. Right. And, and it was, it was like that for me in being given this peace and this understanding that I was entering this battle. It was like, you know, there are literally these supernatural Jesus himself, and his supernatural power is 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 right with me. Right, right. And it was almost like this world and the heavenly world were one and the same. Yeah. And and that was so clear. Yep. It was so clear. Yep. And and the closeness that I felt, honestly, throughout the months and months of chemo and the stem cell transplant and everything else, uh, it was really just an outworking of that. Of that reality. Of that reality. Yeah. Wow. You know. Yeah, I, I 100% can relate to that because after Amanda was killed, I felt that exact same thing. And I'm not sure I could have put it in those kinds of words the way you just described it, but what you just said resonated with my spirit because it was like there was no separation between heaven and earth. It's like everything I begin to, I saw everything in the spiritual. Exactly. Um, and sometimes in such a way where now I, I'm like, hey, Lord, I want to go back to that, like yeah. that season. Like, <laughs> yes, I don't want to yes. go through what, I've, what I went through to get there again by no means, which I think yes. that's kind of the ironic side of things is that it actually often takes these really grave moments for us to see things as clear as heaven. Um, but, but man, I desire that so much to see yes. in, with those spiritual eyes the same way that I saw and I think that you're dead on in describing that. That's an incredible, incredible thing. I'm sure many of our listeners have experienced that as well um, in some 
might be listening and they're skeptical of that as as well or or how could God reveal that to them and and I think that your story is a and we'll dive a little bit further into some of this battle but it's a testimony of the fact that you're now living out the things that you heard as you were putting everybody else on trial, so to speak. Yeah. <laughs> they were going like, no, he's real. I've experienced him. I know. Right. And you're living that out with conviction. That's not a fake, um, you know, put on thing. And, and people are going to be, and are being affected by you sharing yeah. that, which is amazing. Tell me, tell me a little bit about that battle. I want to dive in and tell me about battling cancer mm. and what was that like? Well, and what has that been like, you know? Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of people, sadly, you know, millions of people every year are fighting the fight against cancer. Mm-hmm. Mine was a particularly serious one. I mean, like, you know, um, my body really was wasting away. Mm-hmm. I, I was dying. I mean, I remember being in the hospital. The first admission to the hospital was an emergency admission. Mm-hmm. And you know, I remember leaning over to one of my friends um, and uh, just whispering, take care of Heidi for me. And uh, and it wasn't. And he will tell you himself, you know, Jake Beatty, he will tell you himself that he looked into my eyes and he knew that he that I knew I was dying. Mm. And uh, and I was paralyzed at the time I was. You know, I could. Well, I shouldn't say paralyzed. That's a loose talk. Mm. I was crippled to the sense, in the sense in which I could not move. Yeah. Like I, I had to be hoisted onto a bed, or, you know, I, I could not independently move at the time, and so it felt very helpless. Mm. Uh, it felt very. Uh, I mean, it was almost like you know, I. It was an out-of-body experience in the true sense of the word. Like the body that I had trusted in, mm-hmm. the body that that was accomplishing all these normal things like walking and, you know, you know, lifting and, you know, uh, smiling and everything else just didn't it didn't work the same. It didn't look the same. I it was like it was like it was like experiencing death every single second really wow. in slow in slow motion um you know fortunately you know the doctors were able to you know um i guess figure out what cancer it was because i think for a few weeks they didn't even know how to treat it wow. um and during that 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 early treatment, you know, I think my doctors were kind of like basically saying, if if you survive, we'll be, you know, we'll be doing great. So don't mm-hmm. worry about whether you can walk. Don't worry about whether you can ride your bike again. Don't worry about pretty much anything other than surviving. Wow. And so, you know, they never, obviously, they never said, you've only got a few weeks or <laughs> something like that. But it was, it was very, very clear that that, that was a very real possibility. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I think most of the chemotherapy experience, um, you know, was kind of an unusual, uh, it was kind of part of the chemotherapy experience was fantastic for me because as the chemotherapy was working, I slowly was able to regain movement. Mm. I was slowly able to regain like normalcy. In, in some ways, right. 
But at the very same time, the effects of chemo right. and all the painkillers that I was I was on, the opio- opioids that I was using to 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 not be screaming with pain, right. uh, were changing my body, you know, and giving me, I mean, just a lot of side effects that yeah. were very very difficult to deal with. You know, I had neuropathy, I um, had terrible gastrointestinal issues. Mm couldn't swallow um i mean you know i mean there's there's a long list of ways that your body responds to chemo that that is not pleasant and and i had all of those experiences wow right but um but you know every month that would go by it seemed to be working and you know i was just thankful that you know we were seeing some progress yeah um, at the time, we didn't know that that would lead to remission. Mm-hmm. Um, I was just thankful that I, you know, that I hadn't died. Mm-hmm. <laughs> to be honest, did you get to a point in that in that journey where you're battling, where you maybe felt like for a season you lost hope, or you feel like this resolve that you felt in the initial diagnosis that 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 endured, that that stuck with you through the whole through the whole thing. I'm sure there were ebbs and flows of it, but was there ever a point where you're like, "All right, God, I don't know if I don't know if this is going to happen." I I can't say that I I ever experienced a loss of hope. I do remember thinking, "Okay, Lord, this is going to be a new life for me. Mm-hmm. Like, whatever happens, whether it takes a month to die, or whether it takes a year to die, or whether you miraculously heal me, I'm not going to be the same." Yeah. And what do I, what does my life need to look like? Hmm. Like what, 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 what do, how am I supposed to think differently about a life perhaps where I am using a cane Hmm. for the rest of my life or where I can't, you know, do the normal things a 45 year old guy would be able to do. Yeah. You know? Um, So, that wasn't hopeless. It was just a sense in which I have come to a point where I literally just can throw my hands up and say, <laughs> show me what to do. Show me how to think. Show me what yeah. to feel because I don't know every single crutch <laughs> that I had, you know, still clung to. Yeah. You know, even as a Christian that made my life gave me a sense of identity and a sense of wholeness right and a sense of uh who i was seemed in the middle of being taken from me Mm. and and it was simultaneously fearful in the sense in which oh wow there was me thinking that i was living a renewed life (laughs) the second corinthians 5 17 new creation life well Look at all these things I'm discovering mm. about the way that my identity isn't in Jesus yeah. as much as it wow. needs to be. Look at all the ways in which I am crutching on my ability to think and to wow. move, you know, and, and things like that. You know, yeah, it was it was it was fearful in a really humbling way. Wow, but it wasn't fearful in a. I'm frightened way. Yeah. Like it was, 
it was like the fear is the beginning of wisdom, right? Yeah, right. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Yeah. And I really fearfully recognized that, oh, wow, I've missed out on a key part of this new creation mm. understanding in my life. And like, I need to understand more deeply how much I need to allow weakness to be my way, mm. how much I need to allow him to take things from me not to just add them to me. Mm. I realized how much I needed to um, put aside some of the assumptions that I had about what I was good at, what my abilities were, and let him show me in my disability what my new abilities would be. Yeah, wow. You know? Wow, absolutely, man. That's, that's incredible. Um, just this idea, I think, Nick, that I'm really amazed at is the continual recognition and surrender of your insufficiency. And obviously mm -hmm. you were put physically in a position where you couldn't help but recognize that. But as you're, as you're saying this, normally when I'm interviewing somebody, I'm writing down questions that I want to ask them. As you're <laughs> saying this, I'm like writing down notes for myself, like <laughs> literally wrote, what does Jesus still need to take from you? Question mark. Not to ask you that, but to ask me that. Like in my own time with the Lord later to go, what is he still trying to do in me? You know, I think sometimes we can walk through a, a massive season of shakeup in your life or pain or tragedy or trial and we can go, okay, that was the thing. That was, the, that was my sanctification that thing, that two years or that three years. And now I'm on the other side of that and I'm a new person and I'm different and I'm changed. And so now I can kind of keep living my life the way as a new person, the way I'm supposed to live my life, not recognizing that like that should be every day, right? Every day for the rest of our lives, we're continually going, Lord, is there something else that needs to be removed? Some more cancer that needs to be cut out of my life. Some more places where I'm being, dependent on my own strength, dependent on my own giftings or my pedigree or my talents or whatever it is. And man, I just uh, thank you for reminding me of that, Nick. Honestly, thank you for that. So you, you said something about remission. Um, tell me about that. What, what happened? Because you're, you're, from what I understand right now, are you cancer-free? Yeah. So, so what, what did that look like? I mean, what, what happened? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that it was in 2016 that I had a stem cell transplant. Mm -hmm. And that was, you know, at the time when the doctor was talking about doing that, he basically was very clear with me that he didn't expect it to succeed. Mm. <laughs> what he was using the stem cell transplant for was to buy time. Wow. Um, because my cancer, my form of cancer was so rare. It's a T cell, large cell lymphoma, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Mm -hmm. And um, it was very rare and very aggressive and, and the you know survival rate was terrible. Mm. And the responsiveness to chemo was not great. Yeah. And so um, he basically was hoping that the stem cell transplant would just basically buy us a, a year or two mm. to see whether some of these new cancer therapies that are being developed could, you know, uh, maybe help out. And, um, you know, but fortunately, I mean, you know, obviously the Lord was the one that did the healing, but he used the stem cell transplant. Um, and, uh, you know, 
it went successfully and you know i have been in remission now for two years and yeah apparently when i get to year three my chances that, that the cancer will return are about three percent wow and you know but you know to me statistically i'm not supposed to be here so yeah. if i'm not going to put faith in my statistical chances of survival i'm not going to pay <laughs> you, you know what i mean it's totally. like i'm, I'm not I'm not thinking about it. You're when not I'm thinking, thinking about, about statistical negatives or positives over here. Or yeah. positives, exactly. Yeah. I think what I'm thinking about is that every day is bonus time. Wow. Like I'm a, I'm a soccer player mm-hmm. and we run 90, you know, 45 minute halves <laughs> and there's this thing called there's this thing called injury time. Yep. Yep. <laughs> and and it just it's the clock keeps rolling and every second that you've got after that, wow. you know, ninety official ninety minutes is gone is bonus. Mm. It's a it's a chance to score. And um, to me, however long it is, a year, five, 10, 15, 30, whatever, it's another chance to experience the Lord in this earthly tent, wow. to use the biblical phrase. And okay, show me, show me what you want me to experience. Yeah. And, um, and, and I, it's kind of like I've gotten to the point, a threshold point, I guess you could say, where I enjoy testing now, like not because it's pleasant, right? But because there's always going to be rejoicing in it, yeah. Right. So when the Apostle Paul talks about rejoice, I say rejoice, and it's like I recognize that what the Apostle Paul is not saying is everything's fine, you know. Like, right. oh, it's so cool that you know, you know, you're being persecuted or you're struggling with sin or you're whatever. He's simply saying. The more you struggle, the more you're tested, Mm. the more you're going to experience the grace of Jesus. Mm. So boast all the more in your weaknesses. Allow that strength to rest upon you. And honestly, if there's an ongoing dialogue in my brain, monologue in my brain, it's this, okay, Lord, I feel weak today. Like what, what, what is that supposed to be telling me about how I can be strong in you? And, you know, even as I talked to you, Davey, I mean, I'm going to be honest, like one of the one of the things that you can't see on the outside is how much of a struggle mentally my for my brain to work as well as it used to Mm. work. Yeah. It now is like the chemo. I'm certain of this has has affected the way that I think and it's affected the way that I can process information. Mm. I, I can't I can't multitask. At almost at all, mm. um, you know, I, I've got to be almost fully 100% focused on whatever I'm doing, and and I have to remind myself when I'm brainstorming in a meeting, or when I'm writing a sentence, or when I'm, you know, struggling to uh, function in a busy environment where there's things going on, you know, kind of to the side of me, I, I have to remind myself, okay, you're experiencing weakness, Nick. Mm. That's a good thing. Okay. How how can you how can you find a way to see that this is a strength? Wow! To see that the Lord has given you an opportunity to be stronger somehow. Wow! Like stronger, maybe like for instance, brainstorming. Okay, well, if if the the thoughts and the words don't come to me that I want, then obviously the I have to wait for the ones that come from the Lord. Yeah. Yeah. And if I'm not comfortable for if I'm not comfortable not having words to say, like seriously, what makes you think that anything that you're saying in the flesh mm. 
is really useful anyway. Wow. You know? wow. <laughs> and for someone who made his life, you know, out of writing and expressing and communicating, that's, that's hard. Yeah. That's really hard to be able to say, well, maybe I don't have any words right now. Man. <laughs> well, I'm going to tell you right now, you may feel on your side of things like you have been over the past hours we've talked trouble you've had trouble finding the words to say i'm gonna tell you right now the holy spirit has said so much through you this has been an incredible incredible conversation with you um and i'm personally extremely challenged by hearing your testimony of this nick um extremely challenged and i and i'm i'm thankful for you i'm thankful that you not only survived this but that you on the other side are seeing the goodness of the Lord in it and that that's your perspective and that you're able to give that kind of testimony because few people are going to walk into as much physical pain as what you have experienced, but you're able to kind of tell the, you're kind of, you're able to open up the, the, the journey logs for us and go, Hey, here's, here's what we need to know about God in this, whether you traverse this kind of craziness or not. This is what you need to know about our God, and He's good in any situation. Um, so thank you for that. You you recently, so you're not, <laughs> here's the thing. Your doctor said, you just need to worry about surviving this thing. Don't worry about riding a bike. You're not just, <laughs> you're not just surviving this thing, though, man. You're like, yeah. you're back up. You're riding. You just recently did some kind of a big Crazy. bike thing. Tell yeah. me about that. That's amazing. Yeah. So in the summer... So actually, back in 2016, when I was doing my stem cell transplant, I felt like the Lord spoke to my heart that the, the next phase of this um, was out of Psalm 40, the mm. first three verses that culminate in many will see and fear and mm. trust in the Lord. Yes, wow. And I remember feeling like I had to put, in some ways, this battle, this journey on display that, that like, I had to boast in the Lord. And I feel very uncomfortable, normally feel very, very uncomfortable kind of telling my story because I don't like drawing attention to myself. Mm. Um, but I felt like the Lord kind of gave me permission to do that. Yeah. And one of the things that I felt that, that he had kind of laid on my heart was that I should show people the full extent of my healing, mm. that they needed to see the full extent of the miracle that he had done. And so, you know, I'm a bike rider and I thought, okay, what is the craziest thing that I could practically do that would force me to trust that the Lord has done a miraculous healing to <laughs> such an extent that I cannot accomplish it humanly, that it, the only way that, that it could be accomplished is for it to be the Lord, right? <laughs> so, so I thought about it and I only had you know, a few weeks to deal, you know, to do this. So I thought, well, I want to ride my bike for, you know, around the state of South Carolina for about two weeks, riding about 70-ish miles a day, sometimes as many as 100. Wow. Um, and I want to link up the, the 14 campuses of our church, hmm. um, you know, use those as the staging points because I want to show people that, I was thankful that they, everyone in my church, everyone across the state of South Carolina had been praying for me. Mm. And I wanted to basically say a big fat thank you wow. to 
to the, my family for upholding me and, for, and to the Lord for, for upholding me in this on this journey. And so, you know, I put together this, what I called the Cancer Miracle Tour of <laughs> South Carolina. I did it solo, although I was very blessed to have a chance to ride with a, a few of, uh, you know, a few uh, cyclists in our church yeah. uh, on, a, on a couple of the legs. And, um, you know, I'd never done something like that before. I mean, I, I was not a triathlete. I was a recreational cyclist who would get out his bike on Saturday, you know, Sunday sometimes, Friday when I was, you know, um, free once in a while. So it, it was not about an athletic achievement whatsoever. Mm. It was, I cannot do this. If if I can accomplish this, it mm-hmm. is because the Lord has given me that strength and that power. And when I accomplish this, like in faith, it will it will draw attention to this amazing healing miracle that, wow. that God did. And <laughs> so we had a lot of fun. We shared a lot. I shared a lot of photos on Instagram, and you know, it, we raised five thousand two hundred and fifty dollars for the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society, wow. and it was it was a very very special experience That's because, cool. um, yeah, as we uh, as we mentioned earlier in this conversation, that like there's something when you feel something physically in your body, yeah. whether it's the warming of the Holy Spirit, yeah. or whether it's the breaking down of your body, or whether it's the athletic demand of, of, a, of a, you know, a feat like that. Yeah. There's something that connects you very deeply with that experience. Mm-hmm. And so I had to, at bone level yeah. and muscle level, experience the upholding of jesus yeah this time not in pain this time not in sorrow this time not in you know causing other people to you know to be sorrowful but in rejoicing and to cause other people to rejoice that's awesome so it was it was fabulous really really fabulous you have that you have that documented somewhere online is there like from what i said like a website or something that you were documenting stuff or um I think the hashtag would be Cancer Miracle Tour okay. SC to see some of the photographs. Cool. Cancer Miracle Tour SC. We'll put that on the podcast page yeah. for folks yeah. to go and check that out. That's cool. Yeah. And it's on um, a GoFundMe as well. Okay. GoFundMe slash Cancer Miracle Tour of SC. That's awesome. Man, that's incredible. All right. Yeah. One, one more question. This, is, this has yeah. been awesome. What would you, now that you're on this side of things, you know, Nick in 2018, what would you tell Nick in 2002 or 2003 before you came to know the Lord and you were searching? If you're sitting down and have a, having a conversation with him, what would you tell him? Life doesn't have to be as hard. Hmm. It doesn't have to be as hard. Like you don't have to figure this out for yourself. You have, you have a heavenly father that wants to be your father and he wants to show you the way and he wants to give you everything that you need for what's what's ahead wow and um i'm sure that i would have looked at myself back then and said what do you mean heavenly father (laughs) 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 but uh i would have looked back to him and said 
you know, if you read about me in the Bible, if you read my word to you, mm. it will make sense to you. Mm. And um, you may not make sense of all of it at all times, um, but you'll make enough sense for the moment mm. that you need. Wow. And, you know, like I say, I'm sure that, version of nick the younger version would have probably thought that sounds a little weird (laughs) (laughs) that sounds a little supernatural but here's the thing i think i think we as christians need to be very comfortable in this new season of the world Mm. in recognizing that there isn't this clean distinction between the rational and the mystical Mm. that the human being, the human alive is not able to divide the spirit from the material. Mm. Like that's not how we were designed to live. And people know that. Yeah. I, I think ordinary people know that science does not explain everything that there is. Mm. And I think that we as Christians need to have more confidence that we don't have to argue about the truth. Yeah. We just have to present the life. Yeah. Wow. And I think we found it very too easy <laughs> to present the truth, mm. but not present the life. Mm. And so that's what that's what I want to do. And I'm humbled. I'm 15 years a Christian and I'm humbled about how how much further I have to go in yeah. presenting the life. But you know what? I I know that's the way forward. I know I have to figure out how the life of Jesus can can flow out of me in relationships and in daily habits and in daily reality, Mm. rather than trusting in my ability or anyone's ability to explain it. Mm. I think our lives demand explanation. Right, right. And it's not our job to explain it. It's someone else's job to to wrestle with what could explain it. Yeah, that's good. Wow. Nick, man, this has been an honor. And a pleasure. Thank you. It's Thank you a, so much for. It's been a lot of fun. For blessing us and blessing our listeners with your story and your uh, thoughtfulness and your, uh, I I would say so I, maybe on the I would say intellect, but I think it's <laughs> a lot more than that, man. I think it's just wisdom of being um, in the in the in a, some very difficult places in life and coming out of those battles. Um, unscathed. Um, oh, I've got scars. Oh, I know, but, but they're not, good scars. They're scars, but your but your faith is unscathed. It's like you were in yes. the fire, but you weren't that you weren't singed. Oh, yes. You know, one hundred percent in the fire, but weren't singed. So, man, what an incredible thing! Thank you again, man, for joining us on the on the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. Thank you, thank you so much, David. That was an awesome interview. Yeah, it really was. It, it felt like just catching up with an old friend. Yeah. 
I don't remember when this was. I'm trying to think. It was before Amanda passed away. He and I spent an entire trip together. And I'm really? trying to remember what it was. I think he may have ran I think he may have run the Nashville half marathon with us and okay. he rode back with us to South Carolina. So and we cool. just spent an entire car ride talking about and I believe this was I'm you know Sometimes when, and you're going to understand this as a listener, if you have walked through some trauma mm. or grief, but sometimes it, things get fuzzy on time, especially before something traumatic or right yeah. after something traumatic. But I'm, I'm thinking it was on the way back from Nashville, he, he and his wife rode with us or something and we dropped them off at their house. They ran the Nashville half with a whole group of us and Amanda was, and I, I think it was right after he had been diagnosed with cancer or already kind of battled it and stuff and, and, and kicked it maybe. And so it was just cool to talk to him about his perspective on pain, not ever knowing that I was going to walk through something that, um, that tragic and that, Mm -hmm. and that difficult. And so it's cool to just see who God puts you in your life and puts your path. He was one of the first people that told me, I'm praying for you. I'm standing with you after everything happened. And so it's incredible. Love Love, love, Nick Sherlambas. Yeah, if you guys want more information um, about Nick and his journey um, or just more information on this podcast in general, you guys can go to davyblackburn.com slash podcast, and then you'll want to look for episode 37. Um, There's going to be more information on that page, again, just about Nick, about this podcast, some things that they discussed. Um, But also, if you want to see some cool pictures of Nick's um, bicycle tour, you guys can search the hashtag Cancer Miracle Tour SC. Cancer Miracle Tour SC. Yes. Perfect. That's awesome. We want to thank so much Sleeping at Last for providing all the music for this podcast. Please go listen to all yes, of his stuff. Everything. Download it, listen to it. It's so good, so good. Um, it, every time I listen to Sleeping at Last now, it reminds me of the season that Chrissy and I first started dating mm. because we listened to that all the time, okay. like all the time. Yeah. And so I'm like, oh, it's so nostalgic. Nostalgic. <laughs> so that I just I'm like crying, like. <laughs> Love it. But you can also have that same experience. Yes. (laughs) If you download (laughs) or stream Sleeping at Last, make sure you check out his Enneagram songs. Mm -hmm. They're fantastic. I'm not sure where he's at right now. He's about to release seven, I think. I don't think he's going to release seven. I was going to say six. Yeah, I think he's done six. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, thank you so much, Ryan. Love you. Thank you guys for joining us on the Nothing is Wasted podcast, being a part of our Nothing is Wasted community. We really, truly love you and appreciate you. Yeah. So we'll check you next time. Next time. We'll check you. Later. We'll check you next time. (laughs) No, join us next time for the Nothing is Wasted podcast. Love you.